Well, we are in the middle of this sermon series called The Real God. I hope you've got your Bible with you. If you want, go ahead and turn it to Proverbs. We're going to be in a few different places today, but that's the passage that we'll spend the most amount of time in is Proverbs chapter 2. The Real God is this sermon series we're doing, along with Good News Church in Leesburg, like I told you earlier, where we are taking one of these characteristics of God each week and studying that so that we will know Him better in the hopes that the more we know God, the more we will love Him and understand a little bit more about who He is. The first week, uh, we talked about the goodness of God, which, which means He wants the very best for us. And then the second week, Pastor Jack talked to us about the sovereignty of God, which means he rules over all things at all times, no matter what. Last week, we talked about God's holiness, which means he is set apart. He is different from everyone and everything. And today, we're going to be talking about the wisdom of God. There was the fall before one of our semesters in college, Willie, my friend Willie in India, he had come back home to finish school. And And my brother and I were there to do school, and so we decided we would rent an apartment together in Denton, Texas, so we'd be closer to campus, okay? And it was going to be a lot of fun, obviously, but the day before we moved in, I was at my mom and dad's home, and I was going through my old room looking for things that I might want to take to the new apartment, you know, things that you would need. And I found a box, and inside of it was a pocket knife I had never opened. It was a gift to me for being you know, a groomsman's gift for being in someone's wedding. Now, I didn't grow up with pocket knives. We don't fish and hunt in my family, and I never had a reason to have a pocket knife, and I had never even opened the box of this one. But I thought to myself, it might be good to have a pocket knife at the new apartment. And so I opened it, and I thought, well, I wonder if this is even a good one. I don't know anything about pocket knives. I wonder if it's sharp, you know, what cut anything. So I started looking around the room for things that I could test the sharpness of this knife on, and I found a golf ball, and I thought I always wanted to see what was inside a golf ball. So so I took the golf ball, and I I start poking at it, and and I'm cutting, and I'm not getting anywhere, and eventually, yeah, I don't know if you know this, some pocket knives, when you open them, they have a lock, and they won't close, and others, they don't have that. I don't even know why, but they don't, and it just closes. Well, this was one of those, and, and it slipped, and it closed, and I thought, this isn't very sharp because I know that hit my finger and it doesn't even hurt. So then I thought, or <laughs> it's really sharp and my finger's laying around here somewhere. <laughs> and, and I looked and sure enough, this part of this finger from that last joint on was down here. Then I thought, uh, my mom's going to kill me because she just had all the carpet replaced in this house. <laughs> and it was, she chose a really light color of carpet. And I'm bleeding everywhere. And so I took that finger and I lifted it back up like that. And I ran to the bathroom and put it under the sink for a few minutes. And then I said, all right, let's see what it looks like. And I let go and it dropped. (laughs) So I put it back on and and I thought, you know, I need to go to the hospital. And thankfully my mom was home and she took me to the hospital. They stitched it back on. It's a little crooked, but it it still works and it's, it's been fine. But... But today, as I, I just told that story to, as we begin to talk about this idea of God's wisdom. See, a lot of times we don't always have all the information we need before we make our decisions. Thankfully, that's not how it works with God. And I want to get a little bit of your feedback before I dive into my talk. And you don't have to raise your hand. But in your opinion, okay, what makes a person wise? Not just smart, but what makes a person wise? Go ahead. Experience, okay. Wisdom, what? Wisdom makes a person wise. Who said wisdom? 
You don't use the word to define the word, something like that. Who else? Huh? Application, Application okay. Okay, so he, he, trial and error makes you wise, okay. A teachable person, someone's willing to learn, okay. I love how you're thinking. Ultimately, this is what I want to think is that uh, wise people, they see a bigger picture, right? They have more information to make their decisions on. Does that make sense? God, he has this really great view of the whole picture, which is one of the things that makes him so wise. Um, so today, for us, a definition we're going to use for the wisdom of God is this. God's wisdom means his perfect knowledge leads to the best decisions. Do you see that? His perfect knowledge leads to the best decisions. God always makes the best decisions. Always. You might not agree with them, but he always does because his wisdom isn't limited like human wisdom. We already know that God is unlimited, and he makes decisions um, from that unlimited knowledge. We make decisions based on our limited knowledge, which is why many of our decisions are pretty flawed, like not understanding how a pocket knife works. Um, the decision to put that into a golf ball was not very wise, and I paid for it. Well, my finger paid for it. Well, I think my mom paid for the stitches. <laughs> Regardless, I was a poor college student. God knows everything. His decisions are always right because he knows all things. The Bible says in Job chapter 12, verse 13, to God belong wisdom and power. Counsel and understanding are his. Isn't that awesome? Wisdom and power, counsel and understanding. These things belong to God. He is, uh, that is part of his character, I got to be honest, if I could choose one of these attributes that we're talking about of God's that I could have while I was here on earth, I think this might be it. You know, like, it would save me a lot of time, effort, and money, and heartache. Imagine if you had perfect knowledge. Every time you bought a car, it would go 200,000 miles and never have one problem. You would never buy a car that, like, three months later, you started having problems with it. You would never get food poisoning. Because when you went to a restaurant, you would have perfect knowledge of what was being cooked back there and how long it had been there, and you would choose the right thing to never get sick. Colt, if you call timeout, whatever play you called, no matter what, out of that timeout, you would get a bucket. You would know the offense, the defense, who would make it, who would miss it. It would be perfect. We, we would have no divorce, right? You would pick the perfect spouse from the get-go. I'm just saying, perfect choices, perfect knowledge. But it doesn't work like that for us. No, we don't have perfect knowledge. God didn't learn wisdom. He didn't go to school of hard knocks, like you said, trial and error. He's never guessed. He's never been surprised. His very nature is wisdom and understanding. He invented it. He created it. That's who he is. All knowledge and truth come from God. In his wisdom, God created the universe. Jeremiah 10, 12 says, The Lord made the earth by his power. He preserves it by his wisdom. With his own understanding, he stretched out the heavens. God knew how big each planet should be, how far apart they should be, how big and bright the sun should be, where the moon should be, how much water versus how much land on earth, how much oxygen needed to be in the air. You don't see any fish flying around the air. God knew that, okay? He knew all things, and that's how he created it. The good thing for us is that as part of his creation, he also knows how we're supposed to work. And he has a plan for you and for me to fit in his creation just perfectly if we will seek after his wisdom and make decisions based on his wisdom rather than our own. So today I want to give you three things 
Three ways how we might pursue this perfect wisdom of God. Number one is this. We begin by fearing God. Fearing God. Now, this might sound a little surprising to you if you're kind of new to the Bible or new to church. You say, what do you mean, fear God? You just told me week one that God is good, and he only wants good things for you. I'm not supposed to be afraid of God. Well, in the Bible, when we talk about this idea, which is all over the place, of fearing God, it means to uh, respect him, that we would have a reverence for him. We would be in awe of him because of who he is. It's very common. Not necessarily to be scared and afraid. However... A lot of the people in the Bible, when they came into contact with God, died, and a lot of them at least fell on their face because it's God. It is a little, I mean, the Bible says that the earth and the pillars that hold up the earth, that's his footstool, that's his ottoman. Okay, that's big feet. That's kind of scary. You know, I mean, Braxton, he knows he's loved by me, but when he does something wrong and I give him the look, he's a little afraid, you know, I hope, but, he, but, but because of who I am to him the respect he has, right? And so we are to fear God. And if we want to grow in wisdom, which I'm going to just assume for all of us today that we do, and we want to make better decisions, then we're going to look really quickly at these scriptures that talk about why fearing God is the starting place for wisdom. Job 28, verse 23 through 24. God alone understands the way to wisdom. He knows where it can be found. No purpose searching everywhere else for it. God alone understands the way. For he looks throughout the whole earth and sees everything under the heavens. Like we talked about at the beginning of this message, God's knowledge is perfect and complete. There's nothing God doesn't know. He sees everything. Even us, when we really do our research and work hard and know as much information about something as possible, and then we make our decision, and then after we've made the decision, we learn something else that would have changed our decision completely, right? Because we didn't know everything. There was a little piece of knowledge that was hidden from us that changed the entire situation. That doesn't ever happen to God. He's the ultimate source of wisdom. As a result, we should be in awe of God because he knows all things and is never surprised. Now, I want you to know that there's a specific attitude that goes along with fearing God. It's a posture of the heart that leads to this kind of reverence or respect or awe of God. And it's found in our next scripture Proverbs 15, says, Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility precedes honor. Humility. See, ultimately, gaining wisdom in our head begins with humility in our heart. Did you hear that? Let me say it again because I don't think I wrote it down. Wisdom in our head begins with humility in our heart. The opposite of humility is what? Pride. Pride says, I'm good enough on my own. I don't need anybody's help. I know everything. I understand all the situations so that I can make a decision on my own. Letting go of pride means admitting that you're not enough on your own, that you do need God, that he knows everything, and you don't. And to make the very best decisions for your life, you need his guidance. Life is way too hard. It's too messy. Anybody had a messy life? Anybody made bad decisions? Anybody, anybody had hard times? We can't figure it out on our own. Humility admits that we are not enough, but God is enough. Humility is the posture that leads to fearing God that leads to wisdom. Humility is what causes you to start out every day on your knees, face down in your prayer chair, begging God for direction because he is wise and you are not. When we don't begin our days like that, we're starting off saying, it's cool, God, I got this day. 
Number one, begin by fearing God. Number two, and this is kind of where the rubber starts to hit the road, number two is to decide to trust God completely. Anybody ever had a hard time trusting God? I'll trust God up to a point. But then the moment it gets to that point, I'd like to take over a little bit because I'm pretty smart and good at things. And I probably know a better way of handling the situation than God does. I, I know, you know, what's going on in my mind. He probably doesn't quite understand how I would like for this to turn out. So I'm going to help him a little bit. When we grasp what it means that God is all wise and we fear him, we will more likely trust God. Trusting him allows us to rest. It gives us peace in the fact that his wise plan for our lives, even when we don't understand it, is still all wise. In 1999, I started working for centrifuge camps, youth camps that we send our kids to, and I would lead worship usually for about 10 weeks of the summer. And and those camps, they would put us together as a team, 20-something people, working all summer long to minister to kids, preaching, leading worship, teaching Bible study, doing rec. It was awesome. Great time. I think we did that for like six summers or something like that. So much fun. Fun part of my life. Second summer I worked there, a girl named Stephanie was on my team. We quickly became friends. And, and on my team, because the band was with me leading worship, my brother, Jonathan, y'all know him, Willie in India, and Clinton Poland, those were our, that was my band, and that was our ministry. And, and we all became very close friends with Stephanie. Well, the next year we worked, uh, Brooke was on our team because we had just gotten married. They wouldn't let you be on the same team when you weren't married, but you were boyfriend and girlfriend. It was, that was probably wise. Um, <laughs> But we got married, and we got to be on the same team, and Stephanie was on our team again. And so we became very close. The rest of the year after the summer, our band would travel around the southeast, leading worship at events for youth. And if we were close to Nashville, where Stephanie lived, we'd pull in and have dinner and catch up. And, and as she and Brooke became friends the next summer, well, she started coming to Dallas to visit us, hanging out for holiday weekends, um, whatever. We saw, spent time with her. We started dreaming about what it would be like, you know, if, if we could do ministry together. She had a heart for teenage girls, and so did Brooke. And the two of them partnered together. We're just this incredible ministry team. Well, fast forward a few years, and it was uh, the fall of 2005, Brooke and I were living in Leesburg, and she had just gotten pregnant uh, recently with our first child, Ainsley, and we went up to um, East Tennessee, Maryville, to visit my family for Thanksgiving. My parents and my brother came from Texas. We all met there, and so Stephanie made the short trip from Nashville to, to Maryville and spent the week with our family for Thanksgiving. Now, two things happened that week. One thing, um, the ladies were all sitting around in the room together making fun of Brooke's big belly, and... And as they were all, you know, you know how they are with pregnant women. You know, everybody wants to touch it and things like that. Well, Stephanie had her hands on Brooke's belly, and she was actually the first one to feel Ainsley move in Brooke's tummy. We thought, oh, this is just great. You know, Ainsley's going to call her Aunt Steph. Steph will teach her about boys, and we won't have to. And she'll be this huge role model in her spiritual life for her discipleship. It's going to be wonderful. The second thing that happened that week where Stephanie told us that her church in Nashville, which uh, was looking for a student minister, and she was on this search committee team, and they were thinking about calling me to be the student minister there in the church in Nashville. And we thought, look at what God is doing. I mean, all this dreaming and talking about being in the same place and doing ministry together, and it's going to be fantastic. Well, a month later, my interview was going to be on Friday night after Christmas in Nashville, 
And we were going to fly up there and, and meet with this search team, which Stephanie was a part of. And about five days before that, Stephanie had driven to Louisiana to meet her family for Christmas. And on the way, a man had some sort of medical event, crossed over the, the interstate, over the, the median, and hit her head on and killed her. And, and that, that just changed everything. I was so convinced about what God was doing over here that when I got the phone call, I honestly thought it was a mistaken identity. I didn't believe it. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure that's not happening right now because in a few days, um, Brooke and I will be at her apartment and we'll be in this room talking about ministry in the future and we kind of already know, you know the plan, <laughs> so that couldn't have happened, but it did. And, and I got to tell you, that really shook me to my core because I had to ask the question, do I trust that God is all wise or do I need to decide that I don't like God anymore? Do I need to decide that, no, a good God wouldn't let that happen? See, God doesn't give us the clay so that we can be the potter. God is the potter and we are the clay. He gets to decide how things happen. He isn't limited in his perspective. He knows our future. He knows everyone's future around us. He knew what was going on in that car before that man's heart did whatever it did. He knew what Stephanie's future would hold, whether it was here or in heaven. He knew all of these things. It tore me up inside that, that Ainsley never even met Aunt Steph because Ainsley was born a few months later in April. We might struggle with understanding God's decisions and how things turn out, but God's perfect knowledge leads to the best decisions every time, regardless of what we agree or not agree. And that's really difficult. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, though, says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And this doesn't say trust in the Lord with all your heart so that you hope everything will go good for you. It means even in the middle of all these terrible bad things that happen on earth and when your heart is breaking, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. We like to do these things when stuff like that happens to make us feel better. You know, we say things like, well, God let her die because, because of this happening, something good will happen over here. All these people are going to come to her funeral and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And, and we're saying that out of our own knowledge again. We're just talking out of our own knowledge and our own limited understanding and wisdom again. No, God is so beyond us in his thinking and wisdom, we don't necessarily get to understand everything he does. We like to want to think. We like to say, well, because God is good and, and I know what good is, this is the way things happen. And if it happens a little bit different, then I can kind of explain it this way. No, God defines good. We don't even understand what that means. So he is so far beyond us, we have to decide for ourselves whether or not we're going to trust him. Seek his will in all you do, verse 6, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The other thing we like to think of is, well, one day I'll get to heaven. We think the first thing that's going to happen when we get to heaven, we experience the one true God, we're going to get to sit down with him one-on-one, -on -one, and he's going to explain to us why he did all the things we disagreed with on earth. And I still haven't found that verse in the Bible, but we like to think that. Well, he'll explain it all to me then. Maybe we just don't get to understand because he's a holy, all-wise, all-perfect God, and we're not. I'd rather worship that God than the God that does every single thing the way I think it should be done. That just means he's just like me. I hope the God I worship is a lot better and smarter and wiser and more knowledgeable than I am. I mean, I've made some terrible decisions in my life, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. 
In this passage, we again see this need for humility. See, if you lack humility in your pride field, then you're going to lean on your own understanding. But when you trust God, when you surrender and submit your life to him, then your path will become clearer and you'll gain clarity on what you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do, but only when you trust God. This kind of reminds me of the first G. I don't know if you were with us a handful of years ago. We studied the four Gs. God is great. God is glorious. God is good. And God is gracious. The first G is God is great. I don't have to be in control. If you truly believe in your heart that God is great, that he is majestic, then you don't need to have the reins. You can trust him even if you don't understand. I mean, that could just as easily say God is all wise. I don't have to be in control. God is all wise. I can trust him. God is all wise. I won't understand everything he does. And be okay with that because he's all wise, which will help us begin to trust God completely. Number three, search for wisdom in God's word. If you and I were having a conversation, just one-on-one, and I asked you this question, I want to know how maybe just think about how you would respond. Why is the Bible important? Why is the Bible important? I don't want you to just describe it to me. Why is it important? Have you ever thought about that? I asked Ainsley that today. She actually got um, a lot of my answer right. I'm glad. She said, well, I would say that it's like, you know, God's instructions are supposed to tell us how to live. Well, I said, that's actually the first half of my answer. God gave us this gift of the Bible so we can learn everything we need to know for a successful life. You know, I view the Bible as, as kind of two things. It's an instruction manual, but it's also a love letter. I say, God's not the principal. He doesn't just want us to know the rules so that we'll know how to act. He also wants us to know he loves us. And he wants us to draw closer to him. Some of you, I know that when we talk about this all the time, read your Bible, be in the Bible every day. It's so important. It's God's word to you. It's his letter to you. It's, how he, it's, how he is, it's his plan for, for allowing us to know who he is and know how he wants us to live. And it's how his plan for how we're going to draw closer to him. And some of you just don't know where to start. And I get that. Some of you say, I just don't know where to start. Or I read it and I just have no idea what it's saying. I just don't really understand how to read it. And I get that too. Or some of you, the extent of your being in the word every day is like the verse of the day. Or it's just a verse at an email devotional and then, you know, three, three pages of someone else's opinion. Um, not that that's bad. But, but if I were just going to tell you, okay, if we didn't get to have a conversation, but if you want to ask me and I would have a conversation if I was just going to tell you where to start, if you don't already have a really good plan, just open your Bible every morning and start in the book of Matthew and then just read. And as you get to the end of Matthew, go to the Mark. And as you get to the end of the New Testament, then just flip around to the beginning of the Bible and read again, the whole thing. And then when you get to the end again, just start over again and do that for the rest of your life every single day. If the chapters are really long, then, then read like two or three of them. And if they're really short, read like five or six of them. So that way you kind of have an idea of what's going on, what you're reading. And, 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 and then keep a little book beside you. If, if you're a guy, it's called a notebook. If you're a girl, it's called a journal. And, and when you get done with it, just kind of 
write down what you learn, right? Kind of like a little commentary of your own. This is what I feel like is going on here. This is what seems to be happening. And, and this is what I think God's telling me. And then pray and say, God, make me wiser as I read your word every day. And then be done with that. Um, it's important. And if you don't have um, an idea or already a good plan in place, that, that's the plan. That's the plan that I do. So I, I think that's a really good way of doing it. Now, I'm 40-something I'm now, so 10 years from now, I might have a different opinion about that. But as of today, that's kind of what I think is a good way. And if you're doing nothing and you'll do that, I guarantee you God's Word will change your life. The Bible is important because these two things. It gives us wisdom and it draws us closer to God. Turn to that, book, that passage that I told you at the beginning, Proverbs 2. This is kind of where we'll turn most of our attention here now for the rest of the time. Listen to what this says. Verse 1 through 6. My child, listen to what I say. Treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God, for the Lord grants wisdom. For his, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The first thing I want you to notice is all the actions listed in this, in this passage. It's a lot of work. Listen, treasure, Tune your ears, concentrate, cry out for, ask for, search for it like it's silver, seek for it like it's treasure. He does say God will grant wisdom, but it seems like a lot of effort to get to it, but that's what he wants us to do. I count eight actions. It's not easy to gain wisdom. If it was, everybody would be running around here wise. We know that's not the truth. It requires a daily focus on God and his word. It doesn't happen by accident. It takes commitment to become wise. You don't get wise just because you get older. I mean, we know that. We know some older people who aren't nearly as wise as some really young people. Why? Well, because those young people must be fearing God. They must be following him and searching for God's, uh, God's wisdom in his word. Second of all, all these actions are related to following God's ways, which are found in the Bible. Have you ever heard someone say this to you? Man, I really just wish I knew what God's will was for my life. <laughs> Kids used to say that to me all the time. I just wish I knew what God's will was for my life. Here's what I know. I don't think the Bible tells you if he wants you to go to this college or this college, but I know if you'll read his word, you will live in a way that is pleasing to him because you'll know what his ways are. We're called to pursue God's words, his commands, his wisdom and insight, and they're all right here. I mean, consider how you spend your free time. What do you fill your mind with? We spend hours on social media. The new iPhone update will even tell you exactly how many hours a week you spend. We watch Netflix, play video games. We fill our minds up with things that are really interesting, amusing, and entertaining but they offer us little value or wisdom. The scriptures call us to do a lot here. Listen, treasure, tune your ears. But the, the, if you think about it, we probably already do all that stuff just with something else other than God's word. I mean, take social media, for example, okay? Do we listen to social media? Treasure social media. Is it the first thing you look at in the morning when you wake up? 
You know, you roll over, you grab your glasses if you need them, and you're like, what happened? Who did what? Am I hanging in with everybody? Am I, am I catching up to people? Like it, don't like it, love it, smiley face. <laughs> Concentrate on social media. I mean, you pull up to a red light, and you're like, Pfft. I got 20 seconds. Who's doing what? Love it, like it, love it, smiley face. Call out and cry out loud if someone takes away your social media. Instagram crashed for like six hours this week and people went nuts. They had to go to their other social media opportunity to say, hey, is anyone else having problems with Instagram? And we definitely treat social media like it's treasure. But here's the deal, if we want God's wisdom, we gotta focus on him. Man, we'd be walking around full of all this wisdom of everybody else on Twitter. That's not wisdom. We've got to focus on him and his word. It's difficult to focus on God when I'm focused on getting likes. I'm not likely to find God's wisdom in social media. And maybe social media is not your thing. You know, maybe it's sports. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's finances. But you get the point. So here's the deal. God is perfectly wise. His perfect knowledge means he always makes the best decisions regardless of if we understand it or not. In fact, I'm kind of comforted by the fact that I don't understand everything he does because I just know that's how big my God is. He's never surprised. His wisdom means that all his decisions are always the best. In response to God's wisdom, there's the deal. We're called to pursue that wisdom by fearing God, which means there ought to be a humility in our hearts before him. If you think of God as you're not sure about who he is yet, ah, I like him when he's good, ooh, don't love that verse, like that verse, don't love that verse, you really don't have this awe and respect and reverence for God and his word yet because you're still deciding on if it's true or not. At some point, you have to come to, the, to this idea where you say, I don't get it, but I know God's word is true, and it must be best, so I got to learn to understand it. Number two, trust him completely, even when we don't understand it. Even when it seems like everything was going this way and this must be the thing that God is preparing and happening and then something else happens, I still have to trust him completely because the other option is to trust myself or someone else, a friend or a family member. And I gotta tell you, Myself, my friends, my family members, they're going to let me down because they don't have perfect all-knowing knowledge. They don't have perfect wisdom. Some of them are really smart, and they do. They're really wise in certain areas. but They don't make the perfect decision every time in every situation. Do you trust them completely? And number three, we are to search for wisdom in God's Word. God's Word in Genesis 1, created the entire universe. The Bible says that he spoke and it just happened. That's God's word. In the book of John, we find out that that word was, in fact, the second person of the triune God, the Son of God. In John 1, 1, it says that that word became flesh and walked among us. And Jesus would speak, and that was God's word to the people. And then Jesus left, and then they sent the Holy Spirit, and he indwelled people. And the apostles would speak, and then they would write, and this became God's word. And today, that's what we have. 
This word, the Hebrew says, is, is, is living and active. It's powerful. It, it's, it's the kind of word that, that was there in the beginning. And yet we put it on a shelf and hope to remember to bring it Sunday. No. This is where we, we find God's wisdom. It's where we understand him. All these Sundays that we're doing, we had to pick out these little characteristics to teach everybody about God because we don't read his Bible to know these things about God. This can't be the only day that we spend time in his word. Search for his wisdom in his word, even though there's a ton of other distractions around us. God is an all-wise God, perfect in every way. Our lack of understanding doesn't change it. We can disagree with him. We can shake our fists all we want. won't change the fact that he's all-wise, perfect knowledge, and always making the best decisions. Amen? Where are you at? Where are you at in that decision to begin to trust him completely because he is the one that is all-wise and not us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. I pray, Father, for courage and strength to not depend on our own understanding, our own uh, small, small knowledge that we have, that we would humble ourselves and come before you, an almighty, all-knowing God, and say, yeah, I trust in you instead of myself, that we would seek the pages of your word for wisdom and, Father, that you would be faithful as we do that to make us wise, to give us the, the bits of wisdom here and there that you know we need so that we can live in a way that pleases you here on this earth. I pray that we would know you in such a way that we would be able to make you known to those around us who are living in darkness. We praise you, Almighty God. We praise you, the Son of God, Jesus, the Word Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for our church family and how you've pieced us together. You know all things. You are a great decision maker. We love you, Lord. Amen.